So with yesterday, the Thanksgiving season is over. Now Sunday after Sunday, for the last six months, I have been saying to you, this is such and such a Sunday after Pentecost. The first, the fifth, the fifteenth, the twentieth. Perhaps it passed without you noticing, but the season after Pentecost is over. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Although it's not typical for Pentecostal churches, the Christian church for centuries has been following the church calendar, the Christian calendar. It begins with the Advent season, four Sundays before Christmas, before commemorating the birth of Christ. And then it follows the life of Christ and His ministry until we get to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And then it follows the time that Jesus is with His disciples until Pentecost Sunday, 50 days later. And then we mark the first Sunday, the second Sunday, the third Sunday, until we get to this point of the year. Why? What is the whole purpose of it? It is to remind us that our identity and our worth is connected to Jesus Christ. That without any connection to Him, there is no worth. We don't have worth in heaven's sight because of the things that people here on earth attribute as worthwhile. It might be because of how many people follow us on Instagram or TikTok. It might be because of our particular culture, our particular tribe. It might be because of the position that we have in a company or the level of education that we have. But in the eyes of heaven, those things have absolutely nothing to do with an identity that has worth to God. There is no worth in any other identity except in Christ. As we go through the Christian calendar during the year, we are identifying with who Jesus Christ is, with the mission for which He came, which the work that He has done on behalf of the Father sending Him. We are identifying with His death on the cross. We are identifying with Him in belief and in baptism, and then endeavoring to live out every day what it means to be united with Christ in His death. It is what we call a cruciform life. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It is daily putting to death whatever belongs to me that I may live in union with Him. We follow through the Sundays of Pentecost reminding ourselves of the words of Jesus the night is quickly coming when no one can work. So again, maybe the season of Pentecost passed by and ended without you knowing. 
without you being aware, without you realizing. The word Advent means coming. And when we talk about the Advent of Jesus Christ, it's not just something that comes. It is something that was foreordained, something that God had been planning from before the creation of the world. Something that through thousands of years, God was manipulating the history of humanity, the actions of the people who had the greatest authority at that time, who thought that they were acting autonomously, but were actually acting under the direction of the Most High God. They are not only biblical figures, they are historical figures. People like Pharaoh and Sennacherib, the king of the Syrian Empire, or Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, or Cyrus of the Persian Empire, or Alexander the Great of the Greek Empire, or Caesar of the Roman Empire, all spoken of in the Word of God, and all carrying out actions, even as they worshipped their idolatrous deities, they were carrying out actions that the Most High God ordained for them to carry out. Luke tells us that in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the entire world should be taxed and a census should be taken. Luke tells us, because he is a historian, he documents things well, this first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And each went unto his own town for the census. Joseph also went up out of Galilee unto Nazareth because he was of the house and the lineage of David. He went with his wife Mary, who was expecting a child. Why did they go? They went because a man had issued a decree. But the man issued that decree. The one who was the Lord and master of the known world at that time, the most powerful authority, he issued a decree because God had determined that thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou art least among all of the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who is from of ancient times, who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And so it came to pass that while she was there, she gave birth, and they called him Jesus. Why? Because an angel had appeared and said, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, behind everything that happens in the Word of God are the actions, the machinations of God, his planning, his exerting influence upon people across years and decades and centuries. Oh, how impatient we are. God needs to do it right now. 
It's been a year. Why hasn't it happened? Well, remember, one day with the Lord is like a thousand years. So you and I might have to wait a long time to see some things take place. God doesn't work on his timetable. He works on our timetable. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Advent means coming. For us as believers, there's not just one coming. There is a second coming. And the first coming that you and I are about to emphasize for the next four weeks is intended in the Christian church calendar to remind us that there is a second coming. In fact, the last Sunday of the Christian calendar, this past Sunday, is known as Christ the King Sunday and meant to commemorate what you and I have seen as we have read the prophecies in Revelation that there is coming a day when Jesus will destroy all the kingdoms of the earth and he will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you looking toward the second coming? I said to you earlier that perhaps the Pentecost season, the season of witness, when we are called to take the gospel to everyone, perhaps it passed without you realizing. It came to an end without you knowing. And so it will be. Jesus said his second coming will be like a thief coming in the night. Jesus had much to say about his second coming. For example, in Luke 21, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he said, be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. One of the things that we noted as we studied Revelation was the correlation between Matthew 24 and what we see in Revelation 6. It is what Jesus called the beginning of trouble leading up to the Great Tribulation. I said to you almost three years ago, at the beginning of COVID, the world will not be the same after this. I understood it historically because worldwide events have that dynamic. I understood it prophetically. I understood it in my spirit. Tell me, has the world been the same since March of 2020 to right now? Do you think it will ever go back? It won't. But you know what? Many of us are preparing our children for a future that's already passed. Jesus 
is coming soon. You and I will see more and more trouble as we get closer on the timeline to the years that God has determined would be the outpouring of His wrath and judgment upon the earth. How are you preparing? Just a verse earlier, Jesus said, Be careful. Be careful or your life will be weighed down with the everyday worries of life, as well as enjoying the pleasures of this world. And that day will come upon you unexpectedly like a trap. I tell you, it's going to come upon everyone on the earth. So, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. How are you living out this verse, this instruction of Jesus, day by day? The writer to Hebrews also reminds us of what we ought to be doing so that that day does not come upon us unexpectedly so that we are unprepared. When you and I read the gospel accounts of the first advent of Jesus, there were very few people who called themselves God's people actually looking for the coming of the Messiah, anticipating the fulfillment of prophecy, and praying so that they would be part of it. The multitudes of people had no idea and had no concern. The writer to Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's the first let us. Notice that it's not in singular form. It's plural. You cannot live an effective Christian life in isolation. You cannot live it apart from the body of Christ. Not only is it not the will of God, it's not the design of God. We are the body of Christ. And you will never reach your full potential. You will never accomplish all that God has given you to do without a deep and extensive connection to the body of Christ. What spiritual gifts has God given you? He has given those spiritual gifts to you so that you can build each other up to be mature in the faith so that no one falls and no one is carried away. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? And how are you using it to build others up? Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess and let us consider how we may spur, the King James word is provoke, one another on toward love and good works. One of the things that we learn from Scripture is that there will be a loss of love in the last days. People will be lovers of self. And that loss of love will bring about what you and I are seeing in the harshness, the vindictiveness of our society now. 
The Apostle Peter said, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. He said that in a second coming of Christ context. The end of all things is near. Love each other deeply. We need to be provocative. We need to provoke one another. What are you doing? What did you do this week? We need to call one another to account, not out of criticism, but out of love and concern for how faithful we are walking with our Lord Jesus Christ. A third, let us. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let us not give up meeting together. It is easy to give up meeting together. It is easy to find a reason not to join others in prayer, in study of God's word, in worship. Life is busy, it's hectic. But you know what? It's no excuse, is it? Because the word of God goes on to say, let us encourage one another, the third, the fourth encouragement, the fourth let us, let us encourage one another, and what? All the more. I'm encouraged when you are present. Others are encouraged when you are present. That encouragement is missing when you are not present. And so the encouragement and the all the more is in connection with let us not give up meeting together. You know what? As we get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, you and I are going to need more encouragement. We're going to need more prayer. We're going to need more support. We're going to need more help. Encourage one another daily, the scripture says, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The Apostle Peter has written his second letter entirely in an eschatological context with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, the end of time, and that impact that it has upon you and me. When he gets to the end of his letter, after talking about what we need to be doing to build up and secure our faith so that we have a rich welcome, reminding us of the angels and the others who turned away from the truth, reminding us that people mocked when Noah preached, but the word of God was fulfilled, reminding us that the day of the Lord will surely come. He then said, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you will not be carried away by the air of the lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen.
What did you do to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Parents, how did you grow your children, your young people in the grace and the knowledge? You have the primary responsibility to disciple them. How did you grow them this week in the grace and the knowledge? When that day comes, will they be standing firm and will they be ready? When that day comes, will you be standing firm? Will you be ready? It's going to come suddenly. Jesus said so. You and I won't have an extended period of time to recognize that it is on the horizon. No, we see that now. And now is the time for us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, you have spoken to us with more than one voice today. You have brought us into your presence in worship in such a special way so that our hearts might be prepared for you to do a spiritual work through your word. We come to this point. You have done everything that you can do to remind us of the moment of time in which we are living and to encourage us not to live as though Tomorrow will be the same as today, with no end in sight. Father, we make preparation for a lot of things, and things that we feel are critical for the future. But beyond our amens this morning, you know how much preparation we have made for the coming of the Lord Jesus. No one knows the day or the hour except for you. Lord Jesus, when you return, will you find us faithful servants engaged in your work? Will you find us doing your will or charting the course that we think is best? Lord, are we truly watching and waiting? Are we recognizing the signs of the time? God, are we ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Father, we pray that we, as the bride of Christ, will be a pure bride, a worthy bride. Not a bride that has other lovers, but a bride whose heart has been purified of self and a bride that is desperately, eagerly, impatiently awaiting her bridegroom. May we right now be purchasing oil from you so that our lamps do not go out. Praying so that we will be able to escape what is about to happen.
making every effort, as your word says, to make our calling and election sure. Lord, may the season not come to an end without us realizing it. But may we be watching, expectant, and ready. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.